I'd like to welcome y'all to Secrets from the South. I'm your friend Scotty Ray along with my co-host Terry. Now you'll quickly catch on that we don't sound like the man on the 6 o'clock news. We talk a little slower and we've got a southern drawl. But nonetheless, we've got a great podcast lined up just for you. We'll bring you some interesting stories. They're sometimes crazy and a little unbelievable. But it would be just plain impolite not to share them. So get yourself comfortable. Find some southern charm and a glass of iced tea and enjoy. This week's episode is titled Kentucky Ghost. So, Scotty, have you bought all your candy for Halloween? No, we usually wait till a couple of nights right before Halloween and go, run, go get it. Well, you better be getting it now because, you know, you hear all this with the shortage of goods. There may not be enough candy. Well, you know, you probably got a good point on that. You ought to go ahead and stock up and get your stuff because you can't buy hardly anything anymore. No, I mean, the shelves are bare. And you look out at, you know, you watch the news and you've got... All those cargo ships that are just sitting there yeah. waiting and waiting and waiting. And then all of the cargo that they can't get trucks, you know, they can't get enough trucks to get on the road and pick up the product and get them to the consumers or get them to the, I guess, the stores. So what is your favorite piece of Halloween candy? What is the one piece that you got to have every year? Oh, well, it's got to be chocolate. Chocolate? Yeah. Did you ever go through your kids' Halloween stuff and they would go to sleep and you'd get out all the good stuff? Yeah. I mean, I wonder if there's a parent alive that does not, that's not guilty of that. I mean, if they'd be honest, they'd say, they'd raise their hand and say, yeah, I have. I've been guilty of it. I've gotten out some of my kids' candy. What are those little Nestle crunches? Those are pretty good. I mean, there's no way that they would honestly know that... You've gotten if you ate all the chocolate, they would know. But to get a couple of pieces here and there, they have no clue. Like they have too much. The little sweet tart things too. They're pretty good too. I like those. Yeah. Now some of that, you know, have you ever noticed that you'd always as kids when you'd go trick or treating, you knew the houses that were going to give the good stuff and the houses that were going to give the crappy stuff. Yep. Always. Would you classify crappy stuff as and no I'm not making fun of folks that actually give this, but put it on them. Because I see it still in Sam's. You go by today and you see it. It's the candy that's wrapped in the black wrapper yeah. and the orange wrapper. I don't it know what that is. Teeth. I don't, I don't like know it. what that is. And and it probably is appealing to some kids, but that was probably some candy that I personally didn't care for. I mean, we want the good like stuff. It. You want the Skittles. You what want the chocolate. Candy corn. Are you into that? I don't mind candy corn. Now, there are people out there that... You know, they are not candy corn fans. I think you're either on one camp or you're the other. I'm not saying that I'd ever go buy it for myself. Right. But if I saw it in a bowl. You'd eat it. You know, the little plastic and it had the little individual wrappers of candy corn. You had about five pieces. I'd grab it. Yeah, I would. All right. Now, so now we know about uh, what to do with the candy. What's happening this week? What are we going to do here? Well, actually, we're lucky enough where we've had, we have uh, Dr. Alan Brown. You know, we've had him on before. Right. And he has... The man is a professor of English at the University of uh, West Alabama. He has about 30 plus books to his name. Now, we know they're all typically about hauntings. And, you know, he since the mid-1990s, he started writing about haunted places all across the U.S. So I thought we'd find out from him himself what's the name of his book. So, Dr. Alan Brown, would you tell us what's the name of your most recent book.
Back with us once again as we get near Halloween and ghost stories is Dr. Alan Brown. And as always, you've got a new book that's coming out. Yes. And what's this year's book? Well, this one is Kentucky Legends and Lore. Now, uh, Kentucky's deep into the South. Is Does Kentucky have a lot of ghosts? Oh, yes. Yeah, I guess it does. On a scale, let's, let's compare it to Louisiana. Would you say Louisiana is worse or Kentucky? Oh, well, Louisiana's got more because it's older. Okay. Now, that makes sense. Yes. If you look at Kentucky, you're looking at probably late 1700s, early 1800s. Gotcha. Well, Louisiana, you're going back to early 1700s. Arcadians and that name. Arcadians and yes. I would, I would rate Kentucky uh, on a 10 point scale. I'd give it an eight. That's pretty high. That's, yes. All yeah. right. Now, where do we want to start? What part of Kentucky do we want to well, go to? First of all, let's start with, start with its nickname. Okay. The dark and bloody ground. Didn't know that. Yes. Well, where does that come from? Well, a lot of people think it deals with an Indian curse. Well, uh, we don't know for sure, but, but most historians point to the signing of the Treaty of Sycamore Shoals. There was a Cherokee Indian chief named Dragging Canoe who signed away an enormous tract of land in Kentucky. And it was this treaty that opened up the state for uh, colonization. But he signed it with a private uh, land company, a real estate company, uh, owned by a man named uh, Richard Henderson. Well, when he signed it, Chief Dragging Canoe said that a dark cloud hangs over the bloody ground because the Cherokees were at war with the Shawnee and Iroquois, and they were killing each other all the time. And so that's what that's a reference to. And I got to ask, Breckenheit got his name, Dragging Canoe. I don't know. Why do you ask a question like that? <laughs> because all, all, all I can think of is as a kid, they had him dragging canoes, and they thought, that's your name, Dragging Canoe. That's as good an explanation as any. <laughs> that's got to be it. Okay, so what's a Dragging Canoe? How do we? What happens next? Well, I would, I would have to say that nickname pretty much covers the supernatural landscape of the, of the state because it's there. And in my book, I start with the bloodiest episode, uh, or I should say period, in the state's history, which is the Civil War, of course. I'll, I'll begin with, uh, with uh, Maple Hill Manor in Springfield, okay. which is close to Bardstown. And it was, uh, during, it was built in 18... Between 1848 and 1851, it was very close to Perryville. And during the Battle of Perryville, it served as a uh, field hospital. And uh, on the second floor, there is a, uh, a blood stain. Uh, it's still there to this it's day? It's still there, but they, they put a rug over it, and then they put a rocking chair on top of it. Well... That rocking chair rocks occasionally. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, and it does. It does. Now, I'm going to tell you something else very weird. My wife loves that, loves that place. We, we were there once before. So on June 6th, we celebrated a wedding anniversary there, 45th wedding anniversary. So that's where y'all went? And we went there, and she invited all of her siblings, her sister and two brothers and their spouses. And uh, the women were more interested in the ghost history than the men were. <laughs> But anyway, so we got there Friday night. Saturday morning, we're eating breakfast, and the manager of the, of the place was there. 
And I asked Marilyn's sister if anything had happened, and she said, yes, it did. She said, about 12 or 1 o'clock, I heard this loud thump outside. And then the wife of Marilyn's brother said, I heard it too. I heard it too. And we opened the door and looked outside, and we didn't see anything. And the manager smiled, and she says, lots of people who have, who stay on the first floor hear that. Well, there's got to be a story. There is it. a story. In 1854, there's a five-year-old boy who was riding down the banister from the second floor, and he fell off. And so that thump that they've been oh. hearing for over 100 years is that little boy. Now, uh, did he die when he fell? Yes, he died. Ooh, so he that died. it's a, what do they call that when it's a reoccurring event? Well, that's a residual okay. on it. That's a good question, by the way. But that's a good way of uh, of defining a residual haunting. It's like a film loop that plays itself over and over again. So the little boy can't interact with you. So no one has ever actually seen him. It's just a noise. They hear it. Hear. Yes, it manifests itself through sound. So does that make the like your family members? Did it make their hair stand up on the arm? Did, well, did it spook them? Yes, it's it spooked them. But Julia's husband. Bob thinks it's just all garbage. Okay. So that night, they were sitting around outside, around a chimney, uh, talking. And two of the women wanted to go ghost hunting with me. So we went to Julia's room. I had my EMF detector, and I was scanning everything. And I got nothing until I went to the bed. And on her side of the bed, I didn't get any, anything. When I went to Bob's side, it spiked. Oh, did it? And so... I said, Bob, you're going to have company tonight in bed with you, other than your wife. <laughs> I think I got his hopes up at first. <laughs> but but then he realized, oh, this is Alan talking, so it's got to be a ghost. So he just, eh, said, that's not going to happen. Next morning, I said, uh, well, did you experience something? He was sitting with his arms crossed, and Julia said he complained it was cold all night. She wasn't cold. So it was on his side of the bed. on his side of the bed. And and I see this now, uh, and you must have been really something else when you were a young guy, because he's sitting out by a fire by himself, and you got all the women with you. So you you used this when you were young, didn't you? (laughs) That thought never occurred to me. Maybe I would have had more fun when I was young. A ladies' man in the making. Yeah. But so, and that does happen. Now, this is do in stories like this. Do you, when that cold feeling comes over you, is it touching you or is it laying in the bed with you, you think? No, it's, it's like it envelops you. It's like a, a, a cloud of coldness. That's kind of like a fog, so it's to speak. Kind of like a fog, except you can't see it, but you can detect it electronically. Wow. And they say that, that uh, ghosts, when they manifest, they absorb all of the energy around them. And that's where the, the coldness comes from. That's some interesting stuff. So he never actually saw it, but he did feel something. He did. Did he admit it, though? Uh, no, he didn't admit his wife did. A stubborn. He was, he was stubborn. So, But I think I might have made a partial believer of him. <laughs> All right, well, now let's go to Bardstown. Okay. The bourbon capital of Kentucky. Nothing quite like a drunk ghost. In fact, Jim, Jim Beam is buried. Jim Beam is buried there. I didn't know that. He is. And uh, when we went there, Mel and I and my daughter and her husband and her brother and his wife, Bob wouldn't go. Even I said, this, this is really haunted. I don't want to go there. So we went there on Bourbon Day, and there was a, <laughs> there was a biker gang there. Oh, well, no wonder he didn't want to go. <laughs> but uh, they, were in, they were in the bourbon bars, and we went upstairs to the dining room. And it was built in 1797. 
never closed. It was a stagecoach stop. Stephen Foster stayed there. Abraham Lincoln stayed there. William Henry Harrison stayed there. So this is almost like a, a who's who hotel. John James Audubon. George S. Patton stayed there. We were eating, and we looked at, at the uh, drink list, liquor list, and they had different kinds of bourbons with different names. And one of them was called Walking Dead Bourbon. Marilyn, I've got to get this. So got a shot, and I drank it a little, and she drank it a little. I'm not a whiskey drinker, but that was pretty smooth. I would say that was good. Good bourbon whiskey. Good bourbon whiskey. Well, okay, let's get to the ghost. It is haunted by the ghost of Jesse James. I have to say, in all the things, I have never heard of, of Jesse's ghost ever before. So he supposedly is. Yes. Now, what brings him here? His cousin. He had, well, he had a couple cousins in Kentucky. He was, he was very big on family. So he would travel to Alabama and he went to Kentucky to see these people. Now, on the second floor, there is a room that a bedroom they have bedrooms on the second floor. You could stay there if you wanted to. And they have names like the Audubon room, the Patton room, and then there's the, the Jesse James room. Well he spent the night there and there were murals on the wall. And uh, one of them had a pastoral scene with birds tweeting. Yeah. And they weren't tweeting, but there were birds flooding around. Well, he was drunk. He woke up and he nope, for the first time he noticed those birds on his hip, above his head, so he shot them <laughs> three times, and those bullet holes are still there. Oh. And I have seen them. They are still there. Well, his ghost is still there. There was a, a cook and cashier were on the first floor, and they were taking the money up to the second floor where the safe is, and they saw a man in a long coat on the landing. Well, the cook screamed and ran off, and the cashier... Decided to follow him, so she went upstairs. He went to the fire escape and opened the door, and he vanished. She could see his face, and she had heard that Jesse haunted the place, so she looked him up on the Internet, and that was him. The the face of Saw the face said. of, yeah, that was Jesse James's ghost. So what do you think the connection with the hotel that makes him want to stay there would be? Uh, I, I don't know. That, that, that would That's be- a good question, too. Maybe it was maybe it was the whiskey. It could be the whiskey, the women, the no, women. Who knows? I, and I know you're a historian, so I'm I'm going to go here since you brought up Jesse James. Mm-hmm. This past weekend or two weekends ago, I was in Granbury, Texas. Oh yes, and they got this big sign that yes. says John Jess- Welk's booth. Yeah, yes, but they claim Jesse is buried there. They claim Jesse's buried there. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Well, is John that- Welk's booth is supposedly buried there. Well. I just Google this, and I think we're both right now. We're both right. Uh, Granberry, Texas, claims to have a guy that says he's Jesse, and he died in the twenties, or no, it was later on than past that. I imagine there are probably others that, like Billy the Kid. Yeah, there are others that have pretended to be these people. But they they make a big deal. And you say John Wilkes Booth is supposedly yes, buried there. Yes. That, that say he escaped and didn't die. Yeah, right. He didn't die. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, from that burning barn. And I guess I would. there's got to be a historian listening somewhere. I reckon why somebody never done any DNA testing on either one of these fellows to prove it. Maybe they will. It, well, they'd cut back on their tourism, I guess. <laughs> they don't want to know the truth. Well, let me ta- let's go to the cemetery now. Okay. Cave Hill Cemetery in uh, Louisville. It was founded, established in 1846, and it's beautiful. It's huge. 
built on a farm, side of a farm, and it's got a, a stream, a creek running through the middle of it. It's got hills and the vales and trees and, and some famous residents too. Muhammad Ali is buried there. Didn't know that one. Yes. And so is Colonel Sanders. No. Yes. He is. It's the most popular grave there. In fact, Mel and I, we drove around to look for him. We couldn't find it. So we went back to the gate and we said, could you tell us where Colonel, and the guy stopped us. He says, it's right over there where all those people are. So what kind of tombstones he got? Like a Kentucky Fried Chicken? It's, it's large. It's a large granite and bronze tombstone. And in the center of it is a bronze bust of him that was sculpted by his daughter. And they say at night he walks around. I'll be. Colonel I was Sanders expecting goes a talking. chicken on his grave for some reason. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's actually pretty good. His, his daughter was very talented. Wow, the colonel. The you colonel know, he, is there, yeah. And he's a ghost. Died in 18, uh, 1980. It's been that long ago? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he seems like he's still alive because of all those commercials. And true. All those fake Colonel Sanders. True, true. <laughs> and I guess I've got that in my head. Yeah. Well, let me tell you about another place in uh, Bardstown, which is the um, my old Kentucky home state park. There's a private home there. It was called uh, Federal Hill. And a man, uh, senator named John Rowan lived there. And the legend has it that he invited Stephen Foster to stay there. And Foster wrote My Old Kentucky Home while he was there. Well, John Rowan, let's see, he got into an argument with a local doctor and they had a duel and Rowan shot him and killed him. And well, the doctor asked that Rowan not be prosecuted for his murder. And he wasn't. And in fact, he became even more popular after that. Go figure. Yeah. But he did. Before he died, and we, he wrote out his will, and he said he did not want a monument in the family cemetery. They disregarded his wishes. And one anyway. a large obelisk. I'd say it's about seven or eight feet tall. Well, not long after they directed it, it fell over. So they put it back up, and it fell over again. And they say periodically, every year or so, it falls over. This way of expressing his displeasure of having, having a monument. Well, I talked to the uh, park ranger, and he said that they had recently found a diary written by a woman at around that time who said that it, was the, it wasn't the obelisk that fell over. They had an urn on the top, and it was the urn that fell over. But the urn's gone. So... That's a good example of a legend that kind of morphs, kind of evolves. Right. So it's based in fact, but the, the but the but the details have been twisted and distorted, and makes it a little bit bigger. Than, yeah. yeah well, it yeah. makes it more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I um, can follow that. Yeah. All right. Harrodsburg, Kentucky, Graham Springs Park. Uh, in the eighteen forties, Harrodsburg was a resort town. Right. Had a with the and. People came from miles around to sample the spring water because it cured what ailed you. So a man named Dr. C.C. Graham built a large hotel, luxury hotel, and they had dances every Saturday night. Well, one one Saturday night, a uh, young lady, very attractive young lady, showed up by herself. She had a suitcase with her, signed in at the hotel as Mary Virginia Stafford, and she told them that her parents would, would arrive that evening. So she walked into the ballroom and danced with everybody there. And then around midnight, the last dance, she passed out and fell on the floor. 
Well, she died. Whoa. No, the doctor didn't know why she died. No one did. Turns out she used a fake name. And they examined her suitcase. They could not find any signs of who she really was. So they buried her in a private little plot behind the hotel. And her tombstone says unknown. Well, the hotel burned down in the 1920s. But her little grave is still there. Still got a fence, a white picket fence around it. Story goes in the 1960s, a woman was walking around the park and a girl in a white dress came up to her and said, help me, help me. I can't find a hotel. Where is it? Where is it? And then she just disappeared. Oh, that makes hair stand up on your arm. Yeah, yeah. But her grave is still there. Unfortunately, I didn't get to go there to see it. Well, I hate you missed that one. I mean, that's a pretty intriguing story. That is a, that is a good one, yes. Uh, well, we're going to uh, legendary locations now. We're going to one of the strangest trees I have ever seen. Story goes that there was, a, in 1889, there was a coven of witches in the historic district of Louisville, which is where a lot of the ghosts are. The city council decided that they needed to get rid of those witches. So they cut the tree down and turned it into a maypole. Which I think is funny because maypoles are actually pagan symbols. Right. Anyway, but symbols of spring. So, oh, about a year later, well, they left the stump. And about a year later, a tree grew from it. And the tree was all gnarled and twisted. They say that it was the witches cursed that ground. And now I went there and... When I was there, there was a young woman who was putting something on the tree. And you can see Mardi Gras beads and things. Right. And uh, I think I freaked her out because she took off. But, uh, yeah, it's really bizarre. Balls, there's knots on it. Bizarre is not the word for this, Alan. That's not the word for it, is it? I don't know. I've never seen a tree look like this. No, no. And and, and this is in the historic district the historic of Lu- section, the old part of Louisville. Doggone! I and mean, I that's the stuff of nightmares there. Yeah, that's like like the tree's going to eat you. That yeah, you know that you always see in those. It is like those trees in. Uh, what is it? Yeah, where they reach down and they grab mm-hmm. you, and you're trying to get away from the tree. Oh. Or like poltergeist. Yeah, but yeah, that's one of the most bizarre places I think in the entire state. Go down the street a little bit. Walnut Street, in the historic part of Louisville, there is a church called Walnut Street Baptist Church. In 1902, there was this creature on top of the roof, and it was larger than, it looked like a bat, but it was much larger. It had leathery wings, and it was perched by the gargoyles. I guess it thought they were relatives or something. Yeah. So, So it was perched up there. Well, they had been seeing that thing since the 1880s. And that was the last sighting of it. Interesting thing is, in 1838 in London, there was a similar creature called Spring-Heeled Jack who would jump from roof roof to roof. They never caught him. But this creature apparently would jump from roof to roof, too, in Louisville. So your your roofs would have to be pretty close, too. They would have to be pretty close. Oh, they they are. The houses are close. Yeah, the yards aren't very big. Well, another interesting place is the DuPont Mansion in Louisville. And, and we're talking DuPont paints, correct? DuPont paint, well, in the 1870s when Biederman DuPont and his brother 
Alfred Victor DuPont moved there and set up a factory that made paper and gunpowder. Well, Biederman was pretty straight-laced, and he stayed in, in the mansion. Uh, his brother, though, was kind of a ladies' man. He stayed at the uh, Gats Hotel and entertained his lady friends. Well, over time, the house changed hands, and it became a bed and breakfast. This was in uh, the early 2000s. Well, there was, uh, they hired a, a young woman, an interior decorator, to fix the place up. Story goes that first day she was there, she uh, walked up stairs and she felt someone blow in her ear. Uh, she whipped her head around. There's nobody there. No wind, no nothing. No wind. She thought, she thought to herself, well, that's weird. Well, the next day she went back. She was walking up the stairs and saw a man in an old-fashioned tuxedo standing on the landing. Well, she rubbed her eyes, looked again, and she was, he was gone. Well, she was starting to get scared that time. Well, her third day there, she thought, I've got to go up there. So I, I'm going to go up those spooky stairs. So she did. She went up there, went to her room, did her business, walked down, and she was just about at the bottom of the stairs, and she felt, she felt a hand on her buttocks. <laughs> Something grabbed her rear Something end. grabbed her, and she screamed and ran out and never came back. So this is a ghost that apparently likes women. Apparently so. Now, there are other stories about that, and most of them do take places in, in haunted bed and breakfast or hotels. To where a ghost will take interest in a woman. Yes. And, and, yes. and what do you, there's a name for that also that to where uh, you can feel the touch of a ghost, and I, I don't remember what it's called. Well, there is a, a word for a, a sexual ghost. If it's a male ghost, it's an incubus. If it's a female, it's a succubus. Well, <laughs> I've never heard that before. You have, yeah, I, that's brand new to me. And so there, there, there are female ones also. Yes, huh. yes, but they're more demonic. Really, oh. they're they're really more de- demonic than ghosts. Okay, that spooks me. The only time I've ever seen that was in Ghostbusters. That, that was, <laughs> that's the only time that's ever been done. But so it does exist. Well, that's what they say. At, at least. Parapsychologists and, and experts in the field claim that, that. So you've never interviewed anybody that claims that that's happened to them? Well, my wife had something similar happen to her. Do tell, do tell. Well, it was in Savannah. Yeah. And it was at a bed and breakfast. Actually, and this just wasn't you. Oh, no, it was not me. I okay. was asleep. I always sleep through this stuff. Okay. I was asleep, but uh, it was actually at, I can't think of the name hotel, but Conrad, uh, what's his name? A poet was born there and uh, in that house. Well, she woke me up in midnight and said, Alan, something happened to me. And I said, what? She said she was lying on her back asleep and she felt something on her chest. And it was, and she couldn't breathe. And it was like she was paralyzed and didn't last very long. But we talked to the manager the next day, and he said other people have had that experience. So he's in, in that area. Yes. But it's always women. So, which, which leads us to believe this is a male spirit. Well, that makes sense. Doing that. Well, let's go to another place in Louisville. Obviously, Louisville is one of the most haunted places in Kentucky. It's, it's got them. Well, this is the Meta Bar, M-E-T-A. It was uh, built in the 1850s, but before it was the Meta Bar, it was the Show and Tell Strip Club. And uh, so the bar opened in 2013, and the owner found this he was rummaging around. He found this 
actually beautiful painting of a, of a, a naked woman, and it was one of the strippers. So he talked to people in the area about it, and they said that, uh, yeah, uh, the stripper who was in the painting loved that painting, and when she was off her shift, she would sit by it. So everybody knew it was her because it looks so good, yeah, apparently. Yeah, and people come back and compliment her on her painting. And, uh, well, one day she got in an argument with one of the clients, and he shot and killed her in oh. the bar. And the uh, story goes that if she likes you, that everything's fine. Nothing weird happens. If she doesn't like you, your drink flies off the bar. Ooh. Or it'll scoot down in front of another patron. So um, she's kind of picky about... Her men folks, Her so men folks, yes. And but you can't blame her. Well, let's see here. Oh, well, we have to mention the Waverly Hills Tuberculosis Sanitarium. I've talked about that before. Now, that's that really spooky place yeah, where they've, yes. digging up, they've dug up things. Yes, it's one of the ten most haunted places in the entire country. When I went there, it was locked up, and I couldn't get in. But I have a pretty good camera. So I used my uh, telephoto lens, and I got some pictures of it, not what I wanted. Right. But enough to put in my book. But it was uh, it was built in 1926, closed in 1981. Well, actually, it was in a. It started business dropped after 1961 when streptomycin was discovered, and that's that is the cure for that is a treatment for tuberculosis. But thousands of people died there. So many people died there that they had a special tunnel, death tunnel is what they called it, and they would cart people out of the sanitarium through this tunnel and put them in a, a hearse because they didn't want the residents to get depressed by seeing all, all of the corpses that were being carted out. And uh, oh, there are a number of spirits there. A little girl runs through the sunning area. A man in a white coat's been seen in the kitchen. The most famous ghost is in room 502 where a nurse found herself pregnant and hanged herself. Oh. And so her ghost is seen. So there. she haunts it. She haunts it. But the um, people who bought it are trying to restore it. It was abandoned and vandalized pretty heavily in the uh, 70s and 80s. But in the 90s, they bought it. And you can tour it. They give tours. Can you spend the night there? Or is it yes, just... You can. Uh, well, wait a minute. You, I do think that they allow ghost hunting groups to go there, but you have to have to rent the place for the night. Huh. Make kind of sense. Let me ask this about uh, haunted places. Say that you've got uh, land itself after a building has been yes. torn down. Do you hear a lot about yes. where something used to be and it's yes. haunted? Well, that goes all the way back to uh, buildings that are erected on top of Indian Indian mounds and Indian burial grounds. But there are other other places where maybe a log cabin or old farmhouse stood there and they built a, a modern house there. Yes, there are a number of cases. Mm. Where that happens. So somebody needs to do history before they just go and slap exactly. up a... Exactly. And that's exactly what I do when I write my books. Makes sense. you got to know the history before it, you move forward. It does. It does. Well, let's see here. Well, this one's kind of funny. Okay. There are a lot of lost treasure legends. A lot, Just about every state has a lost treasure legend. And the story goes that in the 1870s, there's a man named Josiah Sprinkle. And Josiah Sprinkle heard about this silver mine. This is in Lewis County that the Indians had. Story goes that he found it. Well, people knew that he found it because he minted his own silver dollars. 
they would had he had an owl on one side and a six-pointed star on the other. And they're called sprinkle dollars. And he never told anyone where that mine was. But the sprinkle dollars still exist. So that is a for sure thing. Well, you can Google them and find Google sprinkle dollars and you can see them on the Internet. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about mysteries from the skies. 1876, a lady in Olympian Springs, Kentucky, was hanging, hanging her laundry and something hit her in the head. She brushed it on the ground. The dog came, gobbled it up. Well, she noticed other hunks of meat were falling out of the sky. And a number of people in that area, her neighbors had them. So they they talked to the, all of the so-called experts in town, college professors, doctors, that sort of thing. And no one, they had all these theories about what it was, but no one knew exactly. Well, finally, a biologist. And this was years later. This was like in the 1980s. They had a uh, sample of that meat in a, uh, a vial in a, uh, the science department at Transylvania University in Kentucky. So this guy analyzed it, and he said it appeared to be bear meat, but he couldn't tell for sure. In fact, one, guy, one old guy even ate some and said it tasted like bear meat. Must have been hungry. But this guy said that what he thinks happened is there was a flock of vultures that flew over these houses and regurgitated. I guess they ate too, either too much bear meat or bad bear meat. And so it spewed out of their mouths and hit these people in the head. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But that is, that is supposedly true. And you can see that bear meat. Well, anyway, 2002, around Fort Knox. Well, no, I'm sorry. This is around Paintsville, Paintsville, Kentucky. A train was um, going up the mountain, and it saw three objects in the sky, disc-like objects. Well, it was making this curve, and something hit it in the side. And they, uh, right by the mountain, well, they uh, repaired the train, Rumors spread that a UFO had hit this train. Okay. Well, reporters were told the official the official story from the government was that the train was hit by an avalanche. But then the reporters spread the story that a UFO had hit it, and they interviewed some of the crew members, and they were sworn to silence. But one guy did say, yeah, he's pretty sure that's what it was. He sells more papers, sells too. Sells more papers. Now, the funniest UFO sighting in Kentucky occurred in 1955. What happened? Well, it, uh, it was the Shelton family. They were kind of backwoods type people. They lived in a fairly small house, but they had all their friends there and all their cousins. Late at night, they saw this face in their window. It was, had huge eyes and pointed ears. Then they heard something on the roof. So these guys grabbed their guns and stuck them through the windows, and they could see they could see these things. They had talons on their feet, and they'll say they're firing, shooting all over the place. Well, eventually, the creatures left. So they contacted the sheriff, and they described them, and they said they looked like goblins. The sheriff sent all kinds of people there. They did lie, uh, lie detector tests, and they passed them. So for many years, people have... This is Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Many people have believed that that was true, and they, in fact, have a uh, festival there, alien festival. Well... The Skeptical Inquirer magazine 
did some research in the area, he thinks that they were great horned owls and that these people were liquored up. <laughs> and so they imagined and a so little bit. So they imagined it. How? So, but, that, but that is a pretty famous alien encounter. I've got to learn more about Kentucky, I see. <laughs> I don't think it's true, but... Uh, they say it. They say it. Well, let's look at some monsters. And this is in Louisville, the Pope Lick Monster. It's a bridge. So actually, it's a train trestle. It's an old iron train trestle. I went there and saw it. It's 772 feet long. It's not as high as you would think it would be. It might be 100 feet up in the air, maybe. But there are all kinds of memorials down at the base of it because of the story of the goat man. Legend has it that this creature escaped from a circus train, derailed, and it got out. And so it it haunts the area. And so for years, teenagers have climbed the trestle to get a view of the goat man. Well, invariably, a lot of times they do it at night so no one can see them. Correct. Because there's a highway pretty close. And then they get hit by a train. Now, the last time that happened was in 2016. It was actually a young man in his 20s. He and his girlfriend climbed up there. The train suddenly appeared out of nowhere. The man was able to climb down to the side and hold on, but the woman tried it and she fell off and she was killed. So that's pretty current, 16. That is pretty current, yes, yes. And so I would assume that some ghosts come back from the well, people of... Well, who knows? I don't know. The, the focus is on the monster. This is called, This has a name. This is called legend tripping. Where legend teenagers tri- go out to a haunted place at night. Didn't know that. A haunted bridge. Yeah, it's got a name. And so that one is pretty famous. There is also there are also Bigfoot sightings, a lot of them. Uh, first recorded one is Daniel Boone. Supposedly he shot one and killed it. I don't know if he ate it or not. He ate bears, but uh, uh, he was the first one to have an encounter. There are stories going back to the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties. Most interesting one happened in July twenty seventh, twenty nineteen. A couple were uh, camping in the uh, Mammoth Cave campground. Well, 10 o'clock at night, a man and his son showed up, and they were visibly agitated, and he said, y'all, we got to be careful because there's a, a Bigfoot around here that's shaking people's tents and trying to climb inside of them. And so, uh, and he had a gun with him, and he said he was ready for it, and so he and the little boy took off. Well, about 15 minutes later, they heard these gunshots. They heard these gunshots not far from their tent. Well, the next morning, they talked to the park ranger, park ranger and told them their story. And he said it was not illegal to carry a gun uh, in the park, but you couldn't shoot it. He said that other people had also reported this, and they did some checking and couldn't find any footprints or anything. And they never did locate the man who said that he saw the Bigfoot. But they did hear gunshots. They did hear gunshots. So that guy shot at something. Apparently, he didn't kill anybody. He missed. He wasn't a good uh, shot. Yes, it was not a good shot. Well, let's talk about Daniel Boone. Okay. Daniel Boone. Lots of stories. And some of them are true. There are a lot that aren't true. For example, the story goes that when he was, he was in school, he was not a very good student. So the teacher asked him to, uh, to come to the school one day. The lady said, you know, Daniel's, Daniel's sisters are doing really well, but Daniel is not interested. In fact, he skipped school a lot so he could go in the woods. And so his dad said, well... Teacher, he said, we'll let the girls do the spelling and we'll let Daniel do the shooting. <laughs> now, did he really say that? 
Nobody knows. But it But it, it fits with the legend of him being kind of backward and illiterate. Story goes, though, that he was not. That In fact, he would bring novels with him, like Gulliver's Travels, when he went with hunting parties and he'd sit around a campfire and read it to them. So they built an image that really wasn't not quite. They were quite. trying to make him more, I guess, the outdoorsy type. Yes. And they also said he was the one, he was the kind of man who would, would never stay in one place if he could see a smokestack closer than a mile away. Well, he actually did like society. He was a congressman for a while. And he joined the militia. So he was... So that's not true either. There's a story about his wife, Rebecca. They say that she was a really good shot. That she had to be because he would he would be gone for months at a time. And uh, one day that she was up in a tree and she shot seven deer and her own mare. She shot her horse too. <laughs> so I guess she wasn't that good a shot. Couldn't tell her horse from a, a deer. That's pretty bad. She needed glasses. She needed, maybe she needed glasses. Well, another story goes that Daniel Boone had been gone for a long time. Many months. And they came back and Rebecca was pregnant. And she explained to him. She thought he was dead. And so she took up with one of his brothers. And Daniel forgave her and raised a little girl as his own. There's no historical record of that. I wonder if they got along with the the, the brother and him Uh, after that. Yeah, who knows? You would think not. You would think not. But anyway, there are a lot of stories about Daniel Boone trees. Daniel Boone killed the bar. Well, there are several of them. In fact, the last one was discovered around Johnson City in 1920. And there is one, part of one, in Louisville in a museum. There are a number of fakes out there. And you could tell the fakes because Daniel Boone spelled his last name without an E. So in the carving in Kentucky, it says Daniel. No, it says D. Boone, D. period Boone. Kilt, K-I-L-T, a bar, 1803. And they're pretty sure that one is genuine. But a lot of hunters did that. He was not the only one. He'd carve it in a tree. They'd they'd carve it in a tree. And he uh, he used beer for food. One year he killed 91 bears at Bear Creek. So uh, he didn't kill them because it was fun. He he ate Necessity. It was a necessity, yes. Well, let's talk about his uh, grave. He has two graves. And how does that happen? Well, he died in, um, it's called Femme, F-E-M-M-E, I think it's French, Femme Osage Creek, Missouri. And so he and his wife were buried there, Rebecca. Well, the story goes that in the uh, early 1900s, some people from Frankfurt came and said that they wanted to move him to Frankfurt because he spent time there. So... They dug him up and took him to Frankfurt. Well, his relatives had the last, in Missouri, had the last laugh because legend has it that they switched the grave marker. So the man that they dug up was not him. It was somebody else. And that he is still buried in Missouri. Well, in 1983, an archaeologist made a plaster cast of his skull in Frankfurt examined it closely, and he said that this was not the skull of a white man. It was the skull probably of an African-American slave. The story goes that Rebecca switched the tombstone from a slave and put Daniel, Daniel Boone's tombstone there. And so they dug the wrong they person They dug up. the wrong person up. We still don't know if that's true, but both Frankfurt and 
Osage Creek, Missouri claimed to have to be the, the final resting place of Daniel Boone. Great story. It is. And there's one more with Daniel Boone. Okay. This is a ghost story. Uh-oh. Henry Clay, he was a congressman in Kentucky. In 1852, he was he had a family gathering at his home in Ashland, which is in Lexington, Kentucky. It was a dark and stormy night. And uh, it was around midnight, of course. And the door flew open. And this man, this lank, tall, lanky man came in. He had buckskins on. He had a powder horn hanging from his belt. He had a coonskin cap. And he had a, a long rifle, six feet long. And so... He laid it down in a corner, or sat in a corner. Now, Henry Clay was sitting at his desk. So this person dragged his chair up and sat in front of Henry Clay and stared at him. And then he vanished. Whoa. Well, all of his relatives were there, too. They all saw it. Henry Clay would never admit that that happened. But his relatives got, and these were like his sons and daughters, they got worried because... There was this belief that if a ghost appeared to a family, that someone in that family would die. I've heard that. Well, a few months later, Henry Clay died. Ooh, so it was... 1852. So the story with that goes, if a ghost appears, it's it's like your warning of... It's an omen. It's coming, yeah. get your get your stuff settled. Yeah, get, yeah. put your affairs in order. And uh, he died. That story was published, let's see, at the Louisville Courier newspaper in 1984. That's a great story. Yeah, that, Enjoyed that's a, it. That's a good one, too. Now, tell us more about your book, when it's going to be out, okay, and when you can get it. Coming out October 25th, you'll be able to get it through the uh, History Press. You can go online. History Press slash Arcadia Press. They're the same thing. Same company. I imagine that Books A Million will carry it. I actually have a book signing there on October 23rd for my children's book, The Ghostly Tales of the Haunted South. And I will, uh, I'll talk to the manager and see if we can't get this new book there, too. So, Dr. Brown, thank you so much for coming out. I always, I'm like you, Scotty. I love listening to his stories. I thought that it sounds like the book is going to be interesting. I can't wait. And I hope it ends up being a, a big success. I know that we'll end up having him back on again. Most definitely. Because knowing Dr. Brown, knowing you, you'll have another one follow it up right behind this one so good luck to this one and can't wait to hear more question for you terry any of your neighbors any of those bright people that leave the candy out on the porch and then don't don't watch it no so you got those people that just stare at i know that those cameras catch you this but i was thinking maybe we could go get a little bit (laughs) (laughs) just a little older you know well, you got to dress up in costume. Which one are you going to be? That I just mean, really spoils it for me. I don't. I can't think of who I could be and be good at it. Well, Scotty, unless you dress up in costume, I hate to break it to you. Put it on me. You're too old. <laughs> what is it, like 12 that you can't do it anymore? <laughs> You're too old to be getting the candy. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and will continue to listen more. We promise to provide stories that intrigue you, provide a little humor, reflect our heritage and culture, whether it's strange and alarming. Please leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Let us know whether you liked or disliked. Do you have a story to share? If so, we'd like to hear from you. Please email us at comments at secretsfromthesouth.com and provide a brief description of your story along with contact information and we'll be in touch. We'd like to say thanks for dropping by. And if you don't mind, tell a friend about us. We sure hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We'll see you back next week. 
your secrets from the South.